You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. I'm Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Hill City Church. So excited uh, today as we continue our teaching series, Exiles. We've got one more week after this week. It's a little bit of a longer teaching series. We're right at the tail end. If you're just joining us today, all of these teachings are available on podcast or on YouTube. You can check that out on the website. I'm going to start today with a question. What if we follow Jesus with everything for the next 60 years? Follow Jesus with everything. Does that sound familiar to anyone? That's our vision statement as a church. We want to follow Jesus with everything because he first loved us. And uh, what if we did that for 60 years? And, uh, you know, last week we left off the teaching with, you know, sometimes you, you can't change the empire. You can't force the culture to change. But here's what, you can, here's what you do have some level of control over. Personal purity, your own life, following Jesus with everything yourself. Your family discipleship, right? Working on your marriage, parenting, discipling your kids. And then also God's covenant community, which of course is not a nation in a political sense. It is the church. It's us, right? So you can choose to not just go to church, but be the church, be in one another's lives, be in relationship, iron sharpening iron, all of the rest. What if we did that? Let's just say like hypothetically, perfectly or as close to perfectly as, as if we were dedicated to that for the next 60 years. Do you think that would move the needle on the kingdom of heaven? Imagine how our city would be different for just a moment. Now, I know some of you are thinking, 60 years? I, I might not be around in 60 years. Listen, I might not be around in 60 years, okay? But, but, but I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who will be around, hopefully. My children, my children's children, their children. Do we have this long game view of what it means to follow Jesus. Imagine Boise High School 60 years from now. Imagine North Junior High, right? Imagine uh, the amount of churches that would be planted if we were following Jesus with everything. Imagine the amount of disciples made and the amount of baptisms that we would see. God could do powerful things if we follow Jesus with everything for the next 60 years. Now, it'll be clear why 60 years, right, in, in just a few moments, but the reality is most of us have a pretty limited perspective when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and the, it's one of those books where the title kind of tells you the message of the book, but this is what he says in his book. He says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. And I think Eugene Peterson is correct with his assessment on our culture. A lot of people want the religious experience. They want a great Sunday morning experience. But I don't know how many people are hungering and thirsting for a long apprenticeship to the way of Jesus. But what if we were different? What if we were committed to that? Daniel, who we're looking at today, if you have a Bible, you can open to Daniel chapter 6. 
did not overthrow Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. He just outlasted it. He didn't overthrow it. He just lived longer than three of the kings of Babylon that he served under. And he got to see the changing of the power dynamics of the world. The reality is the distance in time from Daniel chapter 1, which we started off and saw Daniel as a teenager. We're not sure exactly his age when he was uh, going into exile, but he was one of the first exiles there. To Daniel chapter 6 is about, does anyone want to guess about how long it was? It is? It's about 60 years, okay? It could be more, it could be 65. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to put the pieces together, but it's, it's somewhere roughly in the ballpark of 60 years. And we're going to see Daniel not as this young teenager. We're going to see him as a man in his 70, late 70s or 80s. And we're going to see how the man that Daniel has become over that 60-year period, God uses to influence the empire. Uh, in Daniel chapter 5, uh, the last king of Babylon, his name is Belshazzar, sees this handwriting on the wall. It's, by the way, that's where we get that saying, can you read the handwriting on the wall? That he's at this party, and he sees this handwriting at the wall, and no one can interpret it. And of course, Daniel, one of the gifts that he was given by God is the ability to, in to interpret things, specifically dreams. But uh, he's called in, and he's the only one who can interpret the handwriting on the wall. And the handwriting is not favorable for Belshazzar. Essentially, God has measured Belshazzar. He's put him on a scale, and he's found lacking. And so God will divide his kingdom and give it to the Medes and the Persians. Let's go ahead and see the last couple verses of Daniel chapter 5. That very night, this is verse 30, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So overnight, the power dynamics of the world shift. And guess who's still there? Daniel. He's outlasted the Babylonian empire. And as we look through this story in Daniel chapter 6, it's a very familiar story to a lot of people, right? It's a very common nursery story uh, or Sunday school story, Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, imagine like sleeping all night and just, you know, surrounded by lions. It's just kind of a fun idea. But I, what I want to highlight, <laughs> if, they weren't, if they weren't eating you, uh, I want to highlight three characteristics, if you're taking notes, three character traits that Daniel cultivates over those six decades that actually allow him to be used by God in a powerful way. So let's keep that in mind as we jump into chapter 6. Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. So he was going to be one of three high officials, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was found in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So this is like the first year of a new political administration, and somehow Daniel is already, not only he still has a job, which might have been a little bit sketchy, right? There's a turning over of the powers that be, and you know, do I still have a job, or am I going to be put to death, or what's going to happen? I served the Babylonian kings. Am I going to be able to serve the Persian kings as well? Not only does Daniel still have a job, 
He's named as one of the top three royal officials. That word satrap literally is translated protector of the kingdom, and it's basically a royal advisor. But Darius plans to set Daniel as number one, the right-hand man in the kingdom. How did this happen? How does this happen? That is quite the promotion, right? Here's character trait number one. Daniel was excellent. He was excellent. It says, an excellent spirit was found in him. What does it mean for us to be excellent? It means we are good at what we do. We're good at what we do. What we do matters. What was Daniel doing for the last 60 years? Now, we see some stories, right, throughout the first six chapters. What was Daniel doing? He was always on the spot when there was a dream that needed to be interpreted, right? You know, he kind of shows up at these pivotal moments in the life of these kings. But outside of that, we don't have all 60 years of records. We don't have his diary and, and what he was, you know, fully up to. What was Daniel doing for the last 60 years? He was doing Jeremiah 29. Do you remember Jeremiah 29? He was putting down roots in Babylon. He was praying for Babylon. And he was blessing Babylon. He was seeking the welfare of the city. Daniel, by the way, was there in Babylon when Jeremiah sent that letter in Jeremiah 29. He would have literally been one of the people to read it and likely memorize it. And I can't think of a better embodiment for what it means to seek the welfare of the city than Daniel himself. The reality is we've been given a similar command as New Covenant people. In Colossians chapter 3, 23 through 24, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church. Whatever you do, can everyone say whatever? whatever. That's anything, okay? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving, not your boss. Who are you serving? The Lord Christ. I want to tell you a story. I've, I've shared this story before, but not for a few years. When I was 18 years old, uh, after my senior year of high school, before my freshman year of college, when I moved down here to Boise, I worked at a carpet warehouse, Floorcraft Carpet One. And I was one of just a small handful of guys who worked in the warehouse, and I would take a forklift, and I would go and get these giant rolls of carpet, set it on a machine, cut smaller rolls of carpet, load that carpet in a truck, and deliver it. That was my day every day, okay? Uh, pretty simple. It was very difficult work, and that was when I was convinced, I need to go to college. <laughs> I, need, I, don't, I need to not work here anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't have a car... Uh, and so I biked to work every single day. That's, you know, I, I, I biked to work. And I remember on the bike ride to work, I would pray the same prayer over and over and over. And my prayer was essentially a reflection of Colossians 3. I would just pray that I would have a good, good day at work. I wouldn't get hurt. You know, you can get hurt pretty easily at a carpet warehouse. 600-pound rolls of carpet, okay? So I was like, pray that I, you know, the first day on the job, they show you this video of what not to do, and it's all these, like, warehouse fails, and all the shelves, you know, and, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage, and they're like, yeah, so don't do that. And I was like, okay. But I would pray on the bike ride to work, you know, for a good day at work, and that I would be helpful, that I would make a difference on the job, that my boss would be pleased with my job performance, and that ultimately I would work really for the Lord. And at the end of that summer, 
uh, it was time for me to move. And so my, my boss knew that, you know, I was only working for three months. And he pulled me aside on my last day and he said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm really surprised. I know you're only a teenager, but I'm really, you know, you know, I wish I could keep you here because in all my years managing the warehouse, I've never had an employee as helpful as you. And I'm not here to like brag about my carpet warehouse skills. Trust me. <laughs> That's not like, so point is, I'm great at carpet. No. Um, and I was able to look my boss in the eye and say, well, it's funny you should say that. I pray to my God every morning on the bike ride to work that I would do exactly what you just said, that I would be helpful to you, that I would be a blessing to the company, and that you know, I wouldn't crash or do anything, do anything bad. And, uh, and I'm, you know, the reason I'm leaving is I'm actually going to Bible college uh, down in Boise. And my boss looked at me like, that was not the response I was expecting. He wasn't looking you know, for a lecture. He wasn't looking to, you know, to hear. And I didn't like baptize him that afternoon or anything <laughs> like that. And yet... God used three months of being excellent in a carpet warehouse as an opportunity to be a witness for his kingdom. Do you think it would make a difference if every single person in this room, in whatever you do, was just excellent for the next 60 years? The reality is, the church needs ministry workers, but we don't just need ministry workers. We want to be like MasterCard everywhere you want to be, okay? We need good Christian teachers. We need good Christian plumbers. We need good Christian bankers. We need good Christian athletes. We need good Christian parents discipling their kids in the way of Jesus. What if every single morning you woke up and you prayed that you would not just be working for your boss or you'd not just be making your kids breakfast, but you would be working for the Lord Christ? 60 years, do you think that would make a difference? What if we were excellent? There was a time when the best art, the best music, the best architecture was produced by Christians. It's a, it's a, it's a character trait that is helpful in exile because as you are excellent, people will notice. This isn't just about you getting a promotion in the kingdom, right? This is about an opportunity to gain influence and win people over to the one true God. Daniel chapter six, verse four. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. So they don't like that Daniel's getting promoted with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So there's this professional jealousy. There's possible elements of racism here. Why should that Hebrew guy be promoted instead of us? But this leads us to the second character trait that Daniel exemplifies. Number two, Daniel is blameless, if you're taking notes. He's blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? We have nothing to hide. We have nothing to hide. No error or fault was found in him. Could the same thing be said of you if someone scroll back through your social media how, how far would they have to scroll to find you posting or saying something that you wish you could take back? Which, by the way, employers actually do nowadays. Just if you're younger, if you're looking to start a career, you should you know, watch what you post. But the reality is, I mean, if someone were to look at 
your financial accounts. If someone were to ask for references on your character, if someone were to talk to your spouse, could they find something? Could they find some dirt on you? The reality is these other satraps, they look at Daniel and they have over 60 years to gather evidence from and they can't come up with anything on him. He's blameless. Corruption is all too common in our world. Uh, It doesn't take long to look at that, but corruption is expected in our world. As I was studying for the sermon, I came across uh, these facts about the 100th Congress of the United States of America. This is from, I believe, the Congress around the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, But here's just some facts about the 100th Congress. There were 29 uh, Congress people arrested for spousal abuse, seven convicted of fraud, 19 arrested for writing bad checks, 107 17 bankrupted two or more businesses, 14 arrested on drug charges, 8 arrested on shoplifting charges, 21 with lawsuits against them, and 84 charged with driving while intoxicated. That's the leaders of the United States of America, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And the thing is, that's almost like, maybe that's shocking to you, maybe it's not that shocking to you, because corruption is common. It's expected in our world. And if you're going to live a life that is blameless, you will stand out. You'll stick out. Look, once again, at Paul's writings, Paul to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now when Paul says we're lights in the world, he didn't come up with that by the way. Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, it's why we're called Hill City Church. We're going to be a city set on a hill shining the light of Christ into this world. What does that mean? It means we live righteous lives. Do you know what the word holy literally means? It means set apart. It means we're different than the world. We don't, we, don't, we don't get caught up in the same corruption that is all too common in this world. And I hear so many Christians, we love talking about the forgiveness from sin, but what if we started talking about the freedom from sin? You don't have to keep sinning so that grace may increase. And I'm all about forgiveness. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so that you could be forgiven, but also so you could be freed. Do you think that over a 60-year period, there should be any kind of increase in victory over sin or temptation? If the power of the Holy Spirit truly lives within you, of course, of course. We've got to be people who practice blamelessness so that we can actually shine as lights in the world, as opposed to being known as we often are as hypocrites who have the right message, but our lives look nothing like the truth that we proclaim. Now, Daniel is able to do this. He lives a blameless life, and so these these other satraps, these rival political advisors, they say, listen, we're not going to be able to catch, you know, we've got no dirt, we're not going to be able to catch him in breaking any laws, so we're going to have to come up with a law that we know he'll break so that we can catch him. You see that? It's It's a trap. And uh, so what they do is they say, the only law that we know that he'll break is something that has to do with his God. 
because we know he's always going to be faithful to his God. So they come up with this law in Daniel chapter uh, 6, verse 7, and they get King Darius to sign it, and it says this, that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. So this is the decree. And Darius... He thinks that sounds pretty good. He's like, okay, everyone's going to be praying to me. Okay, that sounds good. No complaints there. He signs off on it. And then this is what Daniel does when he hears. So again, Daniel's like a high-ranking government official. This isn't a secret law. He knows it's in the works. This is what happens when Daniel finds out that the law is, is, is uh, finalized. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... What does he do? He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Here's the key line. As he had done previously. Now, you might notice there's some similarities between Daniel in the lion's den from Daniel chapter 6 and uh, those three friends in the fiery furnace from Daniel chapter 3. Do you see that? There's a dilemma in each one, but let me highlight a difference between these two situations. In Daniel chapter 3, which by the way, I preached on that last week, you can go back and watch uh, the teaching or listen to it. Essentially, the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are commanded to sin or die. Do you see that? It's like bow down to this idol. It's number two on the Ten Commandments. It's a huge deal, right? Bow down to this idol or die in the fiery furnace. Now here, in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's not actually being commanded to pray to Darius. Did you catch that in the, in the language? This is important if you're going to be a lawyer, okay? It's all about the phrasing of the law. So in the, in the decree, it said, not you have to pray to Darius. You can read, you can check me on this. It says you're not allowed to pray to anyone else. So what Daniel is being asked to do is not sin or die. It's stop praying for a month or die. Do you see the difference between those two? One is a sin that you commit, one is omitting a personal spiritual practice. There's no Old, uh, Old Testament command that you had to pray three times a day. So here what we see is we see the third characteristic of Daniel. Number three, Daniel is faithful. What does it mean for us to be faithful? It means we follow God every time. When faced with these kind of dilemmas, we don't lean towards compromise and justifying things in our minds. We choose God every single time. Daniel looks at his prayer life. I love that line, as he had done previously. He's like, well, I've been praying three times a day for 60 years. I'm not going to stop now, right? This is a bold decision. Because it's pray or die. Like, it's, 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 a, it's a dilemma that he's faced with. But the reality is Daniel keeps his window open. Again, there's, there's alternate options. Just close your window when you're praying. Just, like, keep a prayer journal for 30 days. Just, like, don't out loud pray. Just, like, quiet. You know what I mean? There's other ways he could try to... He could try to justify it in his mind or try to compromise. But what Daniel says is, you know what? I've been praying for 60 years. Guess why his window is open towards Jerusalem? Because that's where his heart is. He's thinking about the people who are too poor or too sick to be moved into exile. 
the people who are living in a city unprotected by city walls that have been broken down with a temple that's been burned, with houses that's been destroyed. And Daniel has been interceding for those people for six decades. And he says, this decree is not going to stop me now. I'm going to keep my window open. I'm going to keep praying. And of course, it doesn't take long for these guys to catch him. They catch him praying. And, you know, I just think about us in our lives, right? We don't have a lion's den that's threatening us when it comes to keeping on track with your Bible reading plan. It's January 29th, by the way, almost one month in the year. How's your Bible reading for the year going? How's it going? Good, right? I hope so. If you're behind, you're like, man, I'm like on day three. And it's day 29 or whatever. The reality is, I mean, think about us. It's not like there's a lion's den or a fiery furnace that's, you know, the alternative or that's preventing us from following Jesus. If Daniel was so committed to his spiritual disciplines that he was willing to risk his life, I mean, what is the alternative for us? Honestly, Netflix, scrolling on social media, Man, I could go to church today, but brunch is looking really good. Like it's, you see, the alternative for us, how easily we are distracted and our spiritual disciplines are disrupted. What if we were a people that were marked by faithfulness? When, when given the decision, I'm not saying you earn anything by your spiritual disciplines or church attendance or anything like that, but what if when faced with Man, I, I should really spend time in prayer today. I should really spend time in God's word today. Man, I've been meaning to sign up to serve and contribute. I've been meaning to start giving towards the work of ministry. I've been meaning to start fasting. Easter's coming up. The season of Lent is coming up. I've been meaning to, to be consistent in showing up to the public gathering of worship. Ah, it's kind of tired this week. Ah, oh, man, you know, I'm, I was going to download that Bible app. I don't know. I don't, can't even work these things, any of these phones anymore, right? Like, think about what if we were a people that were marked by faithfulness and we chose God every single time. So Daniel chooses God in this moment. He, he demonstrates faithfulness, even at the risk of his own life. The, these other satraps, they capture Daniel, they throw him before King Darius, and they explain how Daniel is guilty. And of course, Daniel, he's like, yes, I'm guilty. I prayed. And uh, Darius is furious. He's not actually furious at Daniel, interestingly. He's furious at the other satraps because he loves Daniel. He's like, Daniel was my guy. And you guys, you got me, to, you tricked me to write this decree. I didn't even need to write, it wasn't even my idea to write the decree, right? And you tricked me and now I have to kill this guy. Like, and so, but it's irreversible. And so with a heavy heart, reluctantly, Darius commands that Daniel is thrown into a den of hungry lions. And uh, of course, that night, as the story goes, Darius, he can't sleep. He's so, you know, his, his stomach is in knots, and he doesn't eat. He fasts that night, and he's, you know, he's hoping that Daniel would still be alive. And Darius, the very next morning, early the next morning, he goes to the, the entrance of the lion's den, and he says, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? I love that line. Whom you serve continually. That's Daniel's reputation. And there's this, like, moment of silence, is he even in there? Is there even a scrap of bones left? And Darius hears from the bottom of the pit, 
Oh, king, live forever. And Daniel's alive. And he's, he, he comes back out and he says, my God has heard you know, my prayers. It's because I've, I've been living this blameless life before him. There was no guilt found in me. And God delivered me from the mouth of the lions. And Darius commands that those other satraps, along with their families, are thrown into the pit. And so this wasn't one of those times where the lions just were already full. They were, were, they were so hungry that it says that those men's bodies don't even hit the floor before the lions consume them. And Darius, at the end of the story, has a different decree that he makes. This is Daniel chapter 6. Go ahead and look at the end of the chapter, verse 26. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. I love that line. He delivers and he rescues. God saves. And this is a, a profound story where God saved Daniel. Now, the reality is it would be very easy for us to look at a story like this and say, oh, the moral of the story is if you're faithful, God will never let anything bad happen to you. It's very easy for Christians to kind of jump to that conclusion. And just to keep things into perspective, let's remember the first couple centuries of the early church, where there was a very real persecution. That's why Peter referred to the church in his letter, 1 Peter, as exiles in the Roman Empire. And a practice, not just among the Babylonians and the Persians, but a practice among the Romans was to keep lions as a form of torture and punishment. And there's records of martyrs who are thrown in the Colosseum to be consumed by hungry lions. See, God doesn't always prevent harm from coming to his people. Peter, who wrote 1 Peter in Acts chapter 5, is really a firsthand example of this. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, Peter has been preaching the gospel in Jerusalem along with the other apostles, and he gets in trouble. Surprise, surprise, with the high priests in the Jewish council, this is the same group who hatched the plot to send Jesus to the cross, right? So they're still trying to squash this movement of followers of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, after they have commanded Peter to stop preaching the gospel, this is Peter's response. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That's faithfulness. That's choosing God every... They don't say, okay, we'll move to the next town. They don't say, okay, we'll, you know, we'll find another way to go about it. They, they just tell them, you just gave us a law. We will be disobeying that law in the, in the near future. So much so that Peter doesn't wait until he's released. In fact, he says, while I've got you here, would you like to hear the gospel? And this is, he preaches the gospel to the judge that he's in trouble with. This is not like a how-to on how to interact if you're in a courtroom, by the way. But this is what Peter does in Acts chapter 5, 30 to 32. He says this to the Jewish council. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And it's, a, it's one of those stories where Peter doesn't then baptize the people. It's, a, it's a, one of those stories where Peter and the apostles are brutally beaten and released. And they're warned. We mean business. Don't do this again. And Peter and the apostles go away praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer alongside Jesus Christ. And so while God may not always save us from physical harm, the reality is Peter understands that he's living for a different kingdom. He understands that the kingdom of heaven will outlast any of the empires of this world. And that even if we die, this was a teaching of Jesus from John chapter 11, we might live. We will have eternal life. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have the Holy Spirit as sealing us for the day of redemption. And I just want to tell you that offer to be forgiven for your sins and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's available if you would declare that Jesus is your leader and your savior. He's the one, the only one who can forgive your sins and lead your life. And I just want to call on you if you've never responded and received the gospel. Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross for your sins. He was raised back to life three days later. He was exalted 40 days after that to the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back again. And today can be the day if you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your heart. I would encourage you today. I want to invite you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can pray today and ask God to forgive your sins and to lead your life. The way that Jesus instructed us to respond is through a ceremony called baptism, and I'm excited uh, to share. We have someone getting baptized at this service. We celebrate that. Eric's going to be getting baptized here just a few minutes and just a few minutes. Uh, but what baptism is, is baptism is really demonstrating in the likeness of Christ a death dying to the old self, and then being raised up to life to live a new life in Christ. And maybe today is a day that, that you want to say yes to Jesus and sign up to get baptized. Maybe for the very first time, you've, ne you've never responded to the gospel before. You can find more information. You can sign up online at hillcityboise.org slash baptism. Uh, Eric is an example of someone who's believed in God for a long time, been following Jesus for a long time, but just realized, I think I, I skipped that step. I never got baptized. And full obedience to Christ, you know, it has led him to the point where he says, I, I need to obey, I need to get baptized as a, as a public declaration of my faith. And so we're happy to celebrate with him. The reality is that word faith and the word faithfulness, in Greek, it's the same. So what does it mean to have a faith in Jesus? It's not just, I, I believe what these Bible verses say. It's not just a theological or a mental belief. It's obeying Christ. It's choosing to follow God every single time. The beautiful thing about this story in Daniel 6 is not only does God save Daniel, and through the gospel, not only does Jesus save us, but God actually uses Daniel to save the Jews. Uh, the reality is, the very last verse, Daniel chapter 6, verse 28, it could be translated like this. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius... That is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So in most translations, they're translated as, as two different people. 
Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. And that's certainly one possibility. But many modern scholars actually think that Darius is Cyrus, that it's one and the same guy. And Darius was his name among the Medes, and Cyrus was his name among the Persians. And I tend to think that is actually a a good way to interpret this through the lens of history. Cyrus is well attested, both in uh, the rest of scripture as well as through history. Cyrus the Great was prophesied about over 100 years before this, before Cyrus was even born, in Isaiah 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. So this is, this is before Daniel, this is before Cyrus, this is before the exile. The prophet Isaiah is saying there's going to be a political ruler named Cyrus who will open the doors. What is that supposed to mean? Maybe he's talking about the return of the exiles. The Cyrus Cylinder is one of the most convincing artifacts that uh, gives credibility to the period of the exile. It's in the Babylonian, uh, or it's found around the Babylonian, uh, the end of the Babylonian era, and it's found in the British Museum today. If you were to buy tickets to uh, the museum, you could go see it. That's a picture from the British Museum. And I want to read you a line from this cylinder that records uh, the beginning of the reign of Cyrus. It says this, The gods who dwell there, I return to their home to let them move into an eternal dwelling. So think about kind of an ancient uh, pagan perspective on a nation's gods. It was usually tied up with idols, idolatry, right? And so just keep that in mind about how someone would go about moving the, the god of the Israelites back to where he came from. And then he says this, all their people I collected and brought them back to their homes. So Cyrus, in the Cyrus Cylinder, has a different policy about conquered nations than, let's say, Nebuchadnezzar did. Let's take everyone, bring them to Babylon, and indoctrinate them and assimilate them into our culture. What does Cyrus do? He sends them home. That was, his, that was his policy. People will be easier to rule if I actually bless them and let them live in their own land. Now, this is very shockingly similar to what we read about the return of the exiles from Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. So we just read ancient history on an artifact. Let me read to you scripture. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all of his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? When, 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 you, when you look at history and archaeology and you look at scripture, now the reality is whether Darius was maybe a sub-ruler underneath Cyrus the Great or not, it's a very real possibility that Daniel himself was one of the most influential voices to the Persian Empire for them coming to know who God was, their introduction. That's influence, okay? That's influence. 
So the reality is God not only saved Daniel from the lion's den, but in maybe you know, a, this, this other miracle, he saved the Jews using Daniel's voice to influence the empire. So what are we going to do, church? We're going to be excellent. We're going to be blameless. We're going to be faithful for decades. A long obedience in the same direction has power. The kingdom of heaven will outlast the empires of the world. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.